from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. Today, I'm very pleased joining me from New York, Andres. Andres, thank you very much for making the time to be with me on this episode today. Um, the way I love to do it is I keep it to my guests to introduce themselves and what they are doing. So the floor is yours. Absolutely. Well, good morning or, or good afternoon from your end. I'm at uh, Andres Kladic here. I was born in the U.S., but I was raised my entire life in Bolivia. I come up from a family that has been in the auto space uh, forever, right? So my grandpa was a race car driver. My dad has worked in auto finance for, for a good chunk of his career. And my first job out of high school was selling cars. I paid for college selling cars. Uh, and then uh, after college, I, I went into Wall Street. I, I worked at investment banks and then switched into the buy side, working uh, in, in, in private equity and hedge funds. And uh, along the way, I uh, went to business school. I went to Harvard for that. I met my co-founder uh, during grad school there. And uh, a little bit over two years ago, we decided to join forces to build uh, the first stage of what, what, what today is news. Originally, the business was a direct-to-consumer brand offering auto loans. So we were working with top 10 banks, top 10 credit unions, uh, and finance companies here in the U.S. And those companies approached us at some point, and they were like, guys, uh, we love what you're doing in terms of originating loans for us. But we're frankly uh, interested and perplexed by how, how good the technology that you guys have it has to be for you to originate loans at the speed and with precision that you're doing it. So out of curiosity, what type of uh, technology are you using for your architecture? Because I imagine uh, it has to be like a vendor, right? Because you've launched so fast. And our answer was no. Well, guess we actually have built that internally, uh, to which they kind of pretty much in unitone uh, told us, guys, we're actually far more interested in your technology than, uh, than you guys just selling us loans because uh, we have far more volume than we, uh, than we want to handle. And perhaps you're the solution you built internally is something that we can utilize for the broad many operations of our organizations. So we, we switched from direct-to-consumer to, -consumer to uh, B2B, and that's kind of how Fuse was born. We raised uh, millions of dollars of capitals ever since that, uh, working uh, mostly in the U.S. today, in North America as a whole. And that's kind of like the quick, uh, the quick story on Fuse. That's great, Andres, to know. And I, you know, this show, although it's called the CTO show, but we 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 discuss a lot about you know startups, entrepreneurs. So the the question that I'm always curious to ask every single founder I interview is, you know, what was the moment that you felt okay, there is uh, you know there is a need for this. So what was you know the you know the trigger for you and your co-founders to say, hey. There is a problem. It needs to, to have a solution. So if you can explain that to us. Yeah. I think like first, uh, th there were two problems that we tried to solve, right? The original one was uh, automating certain processes uh, that, that take place during the uh, lending origination, right? Like, so 
uh, up until the point that uh, which we kind of interrupted into the erupted into the um, B two C space, there were a lot of pen and paper. There are a lot of like processes that require uh, what it's called like wet signatures here in the US. And we were like, hey, like there's an opportunity for a lot of this uh, very prone to error processes to actually be automated in the same way that has been done in the travel world, in the insurance world, then just tackle it within the confines of the lending world. What we didn't know that like what, what felt like a direct-to-consumer uh, 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 kind of uh, speed bump was much larger when it came to like uh, processes within the organization, lending organization. So if anything, like what we are today, the loan origination system space that we entered, I don't think we would have ever found this niche had we not started direct to consumer because it, it's such a, it, it's such a, it, it's, it's kind of like hidden between the architecture of all the builds and the POSs and, and the point of sales and like all the other piece of software that you don't get there, that you think about way before you think about a long origination system that I, I'm very grateful that we actually walked into it because I don't think, had we not gone the journey that we, had we not taken the journey that we took, I don't think we would have been able to, um, or at least it would have not been as easy to find uh, such an interesting niche. It's a massive market. It's like tens of billions of dollars that you get spent uh, on on the piece of architecture that we built. Uh, it's just that you probably have never heard about it. That's cool and great to know, uh, Andres, about that. And I love innovation uh, mm -hmm. in general. And, you know, the fintech industry is is quite an exciting one. And, you know, like, uh, once we think uh, we've done, you know, there's nothing to innovate and always, you know, you find the, the ideas there. So, you know, when, when I was preparing for the for the episode, so one, one of the things uh, is that you had a role of low-code platform. So, uh, and, you know, building on APIs. How, so how these technologies... Uh, are evolving actually in, in the finance sector, like in the fintech. And yeah. what do you think their impact might be on the traditional you know, banking systems as, as we know them? Yeah. I mean, the war for talent is not going to stop, right? With the advent of AI and all of this, like the financial sector is going to continue to compete with Silicon Valley for talent. So we, that forces us to kind of like, uh, really uh, make a choice, right? And, and a choice that doesn't really necessarily compromise, but a choice that like needs to be made as far as like, what do we do with all the non-technical talent that usually needs to wait for uh, for engineering teams to make changes, right? So we decided to like give them the tools to do a lot of the work that today needs to be left for engineer and but engineering teams. And this is in general, like more tactical work, right? Stuff that, like, I would say the average engineer will consider busy work that, like, removes them from their strategic work that, like, business teams sometimes need them immediately, right? That, like, it's it's a it's a quick hot fix, perhaps from an engineering standpoint, but it's a distraction from like the more strategic thinking that they're doing. So, like, from the from a local no code standpoint, it, it, it's like, for example, uh, workflows, uh, really uh, upgrade, up, updating rate sheets, um, all of these things like really uh, enable for the non technical teams and the technical teams to coordinate better, or like if anything, not have to coordinate for certain tasks that I, I would consider more mundane, so to speak. Um, as far as like kind of inspiration that we draw on for other industries, right? As far as local, no code uh, usage, right? Like when you think about uh, the, the UX that you see on an air table, right? Like, so you see all this 
interfaces and everything like that. And you're like, hey, uh, there has to be an opportunity to bring some of this solution. So drag and drop that you see on the, whenever you're adding documents into your email, things like that that exist already in many other applications or like the, the speed of like ordering through a door, DoorDash or an Uber. I, why can't we just bring that into like the, the B2B experience, right? So uh, that is kind of where, where our insight was, uh, noticing that there, there, there was a collection of experiences that like were, were already happening across uh, other verticals. And we brought it into the financial industry. Uh, and, and, and that's something that like our user base also appreciates, right? Because they're familiar with utilizing this technology elsewhere. They just had never seen it in the context of fintech. That's great. Uh, by the way, Andres, I'm a fan of uh, anything low-code, no-code automation. So when I see, you know, a startup that has been uh, built on, on top of that, I really like it because it's proved my point that, you know, you can do a lot of things facilitating, you know, the reach of technology. So it's kind of the word is correct, maybe democratizing, you know, the, 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 the use of technology for even normal users. So you don't need to be a tech savvy, for example, uh, to use the platform, which is which is amazing. Now, um, because you know the the topic of you know uh, loan applications and this one, I covered a couple of times, but from different perspective. And I want to hear your opinion about some other integrations. So, for example, uh, in one of uh, my episodes, so we were discussing you know this uh, you know integration was with with Bruno. Uh, we were discussing about the. Uh, blockchain with the loan applications and for example i just it was released you know i know this is going to be after two weeks but you know today i released an episode about open banking so how do you see you know your solution integrating with other niche or let's say edge technologies that are out in the market today i think as long as from a regulatory standpoint our customers feel comfortable we should be able to like provide them all those integrations right like the the way uh, our, our product has like three verticals that are fundamental. First and foremost is like uh, access to as, ma as many integrations as possible or like self-serve tools that enable you to like build those APIs yourself and not to ever have to rely on my, on my team of engineers, right? Like you are self-reliant because you have like the best tool in the market from an API connectivity standpoint. Uh, sec second is uh, the, uh, kind of the, the local no-code tools that you mentioned. And the third is like workflows. So as you as you think about like blockchain and and, uh, and other point point solutions, you think like providing that connectivity and ease of integration for our customers is fundamental for us to like differentiate ourselves. Um, the use cases are plentiful, of course. Like uh, blockchain, despite like all, all the noise, uh, I think like finally like uh, we're seeing like very good uh, use cases in the marketplace. And what we want is our customers to have access to that, the ability to integrate those if they saw fit to actually bring them into the realm of their product. That's, uh, you know, 100% I agree with you on this. One thing, uh, you know, also how, you know, because I, I, I always, you know, read, try to read between the lines and, you know, I can see you are up to something much bigger. So how do you think Fuse would contribute to, you know, a more financial inclusion, especially, you know, because we know, and I, I, I'm based, you know, in, in Dubai, I mm. cover a lot about of the startup scenes in Middle East, Africa, mm. you know, region, and even some part of, of APAC. So how do you see like, uh, you know, the contribution of Fuse 
in the inclusion of sometimes underbanked, you know, so there are some people mm-hmm. even they don't have bank accounts and yeah. even maybe some underserved markets. Yeah. I see it in multiple ways, but like to just give you two specific examples, I always think that like bringing efficiency to the, uh, to the lending process allows you to two things, right? You can go the Milton Freeman approach that like it allows you to capture more profits and definitely like you can give higher dividends to your shareholders, but at the same time, it allows you to grow more. And if you grow more, that also means that the marginal borrower is going to get a loan, right? Because even if, uh, it, by virtue of like uh, being able to be more efficient, that means you have that extra dollar of money that you can reinvest in, in, in into growing your loan portfolio, right? So that, that in itself, that marginal borrower getting that extra loan translates into like better, that person is able to buy a house, is able to buy a car to go to work, is able to like get a student loan to go to university. And like the m- wonderful multiplier effect that like credit gives uh, to the market, right? So th- that from an access standpoint is huge. And second, if I had to think more macro speaking, and, and instead of like just the micro specific example, I think like that yet to this day, there's no like specific operating system of the banking world, right? Like the blockchain, where it's kind of when you think about moving money, but as far as like uh, a platform in which like a lot of applications can be built and like this fabric in which orchestration, the orchestration layer in which everything happens is something that like, I think long-term is a, it's a vision that like pretty appetizing to us and kind of enable financial institutions to kind of adopt new technology in a way that, that, that today they cannot do because they're like, they have multiple systems that do not uh, intercommunicate with each other. That's great to hear, actually, Andres, and, you know, knowing that you have this vision. Um, b- before I finish, you know, from the finance uh, perspective and, you know, ask a couple of other questions. So how do you see the future of digital lending evolving? And, you know, how do you see the role of Fuse playing in that future? Yeah. I think that uh, you, you alluded to in a, a, another question, and I, I, I think I didn't touch much on it. It's like open banking is going to, of course, it's a, always, a, you know, depending on how rapid the adoption is by geography, but open banking will allow you to better underwrite customers, right? Like clear visibility, and, and as a customer yourself, to be able to like share with the uh, lenders uh, information that today, like it's hard to port over from one place to another, right? So. That in itself is going to help to have much more curated set of uh, um, uh, kind of loan offers. I do think there is a massive opportunity also in the recapture space. So, for example, people that are uh, having uh, uh, a distributed kind of approach to their how they bank, meaning they have a uh, auto loan with a captive auto lender, and they have a student loan with a uh, with a different organization. So. Being able to surround that customer with a plethora of different products and kind of uh, get that get them to bank with you, it's it's something that it's it, it's it's pretty interesting in lo- in the long term. I do, uh, I, in as far as like created opportunities, I think there's going to be more opportunity to customization, of course, within the boundaries of regulation. But being able to like actually get uh, multi offers, uh, get, get to have a shop around for credit in a way that doesn't affect your, your credit score within the context of the U.S. I think all of that is things that we're, we're already seeing, but I think we're going to see it in a much uh, uh, in, in a much larger with uh, much, much higher kind of impact, so to speak, in the coming years. Uh, I'm pretty excited about what the world of credit kind of has to bring because it it, it is kind of leverage enables so many things, and being able to do it in a much more uh, precise and and without 
so sometimes of the issues of like over levering uh, to bring to the table. That's great. Also, uh, insights from you, Andres. I said that the final thing related to there, but uh, you know, I, there is no episode I record without asking about AI and you know the role of AI in the whole, you know, the fintech industry in general, and maybe in in, in the lending space which you are in. So, how do you think AI will will also change uh, the landscape there? I think there's, uh, especially, there's the fear, of course, of mistakes, right? But like, if if you're choosing not to use AI, you're, you're also like subject, uh, accepting to make other mistakes, right? So there's a trade-off that uh, practitioners will have to make uh, as kind of the technology gets even more precise than humans, right? So, but as it pertains to like specific applications that I see in the very short term or midterm, it's a uh, doc creation, right? Like, for example, uh, as it pertains to like commercial lending, it's very common to see in those categories uh, memos being built in order for their investment committees to make a decision. So imagine a world in which a lot of those, that, those memos, if not all the memo gets done by AI, right? Like you feed them information, the model is built uh, by the AI tools, the model is then kind of reviewed by an analyst or junior person that kind of is in general in charge of those. And any changes to that model automatically get reflected on that uh, memo, right? And that memo in itself uh, can, can have flexibility and change the based on whatever commentaries are gathered during that investment committee session. Um, the same applies for like document creation, uh, document absorption, and, and be, that being reflected in the context of uh, loan docs. That's kind of like a preamble of many other things that we will see, right? Like uh, that's not even getting into underwriting and other things that, I, that are obviously going to have, see the effect of AI over the next uh, a couple of years. Yeah, great. And, you know, I think um, for you, because you're already leveraging, you know, some of the other things that we just mentioned, the low code, no code, mm-hmm. and automation. Um, and I'm seeing across, and you, you're very, I would say, very right on this one. If you're not using AI to do this kind of manual thing that usually we mm-hmm. used to do, so, yeah, you'd be losing customer experience. You'd be losing on you know, even on, on the overall product uh, attractiveness. Now, shifting gear a little bit about, you know, from the entrepreneurial perspective, Andres. So, like you you mentioned to me before about, you know, um, you know having your co-founders with you. Uh, how much is it important to have this, you know, spirit of the team when, especially in the early days, and how do you combine, you know, the 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 you know the skill sets and experience to complement each other's, uh, and especially how this helped you also when when building Fuse? Yeah, first and foremost, like the decision to have a co-founder is an important decision, right? Like it's uh, you're going to split equity in most instances in, in very close to parity ways, depending on like how early every each one enjoys the journey. But I think. Uh, the, the entrepreneurial journey is pretty lonely, right? So having someone along the ride in itself is, is a phenomenal kind of advantage. I, I, from my perspective, there, there's like the, the statistics out there too and kind of like total returns for, uh, for uh, solo founders and non-solo founders. I, I imagine folks can actually Google that. But I would say for me, it was, it, 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 it was also a function of increasing the odds of success, right? 
And I'd rather be owner of a, uh, of a lower percentage of something that is worth a lot than something that, that I own 100% and, and I, it, it's worth zero, right? So uh, it's all about increasing auto success. And I think uh, co-founding this with, my, with Mark, my co-founder, was uh, an excellent choice. As it, for, as it comes to like uh, specific complementary skills, I think it's very important. Uh, otherwise, the, vendor, uh, the ability to kind of create uh, uh, equity value for the business, it, it could actually be hampered, right? Because if, if, you, if you two are identical people, like you're both going to want to do the same thing and the division of labor is going to be hard, right? So if uh, given the fact that we have distinct level of skills, we can actually, we, have a, we can cast a, a wider net and definitely do more things, right? And do things that like we both enjoy doing and that we have complete ownership over and responsibility and accountability over. So I do think that uh, to the extent possible, it's very important that like the, the, those Venn diagrams don't overly overlap. Uh, there's certain values and things that like they need to overlap on. But as it comes to talent, I think that it's better if like each one can cover other things. I mean, if you were building uh, setting, uh, a distinct, uh, Type of business. I don't know if you're both building a private equity franchise or or credit franchise or things like that. I think it's a, it's good to you could actually have uh, repeatable um, uh, talents because the, you, you you need kind of like that yin to that yang. But I think we're trying to build technology. It's important to have uh, an over uh, a wide ranging set of uh, capabilities to be able to like contribute to to the uh, to the value of the business. Yeah, that's great insight. Another thing which also you touched on, uh, you know, uh, when you did your introduction, pivoting, you know, like you, you, you decided to go from D2C to, to, to B2B. Now, and sometimes, you know, founders, uh, they face this reality that, or maybe it's not like reality, multiple situations where you need to change the strategy, you need to change even the target audience and so on. So, how much challenging it was for you to take this decision? And can you elaborate why sometimes you need to take these hard decisions, if they are hard actually, mm -hmm. uh, for the benefit of the company and, you know, to, to be successful? Yeah, I think like the, per the last question is an a it's a relatively easy answer. And it's like, we get paid to make thoughtful uh, decisions, right? So. Uh, a pivot is it's it's not uh, it's not different in the great scheme of things, right? Like uh, people and investors and the folks that have backed us have chosen us, and also our customers because uh, they they trust our ability to make choices, right? So uh, the decision to pivot is not not different from that. I think that as as it comes to actually making that the the decision, you need to it's not something that needs to, that is light, right? You need to. First, gain conviction that whatever you were doing before, uh, it's not necessarily uh, as far as like from a utilitarian curve. If you want to just see it through the lens of that, it's not going to be like the that the best outcome for the business. Even if it's a good outcome, I and adjust it for the risk to pivot. For us, like pivot in this direction, what what was what's was the best um, best out outcome we could pursue. Of course, we needed to sign contracts, so we, we signed multiple contracts before we decided to pivot. Of course, we needed to understand that the new market that we were going to was some a market in which we were going to win and, and have a good chance of being much larger than whatever business we were building before. Uh, we had to uh, 
rebuild the team, right? Or like at least rewire a lot of roles in such a way that uh, from a talent standpoint, we were not going to be at a disadvantage. So every single vertical of the business needed to be reevaluated from the perspective of what is going to actually make it into the other version of the business. Uh, and that decision-making takes time and, and, and it's not something that you just like uh, shoot from the hip type of thing, right? So um, you, you, you need to make all the decisions. Before the grand decision, you need to kind of do by business decision. You need to make smaller decisions along the way in order to kind of decide that yes, no. And, uh, and then of course you need to convince all stakeholders, your co-founders, uh, the co-founders need to agree. The, the employees need to be aligned. Investors need to be aligned. You need to make sure that like no client is heavily affected by this type of change. And that whoever is going to be your core stakeholders in the next iteration of the business is super aligned with the change. So uh, once all those things are aligned, that I think you can confidently go make that recommendation to your board. And they, there's still the risk that they say no, but I, at least you, 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 you kind of uh, uh, show an, an entire process that has been thoughtful and it's been from the kind of uh, bottom-up approach in order for, for you to make a confident uh, decision from that perspective. You know, it's like uh, absolute wisdom, I would say, Andres, and uh, thank you for sharing your experience. One more thing also, you, you mentioned to me, you know, before that, uh, you know, you, you turned down an offer from Y Combinator, from YC. And let's yeah. say, you know, it's a bold move because, you know, there are plenty of people like they, even here in Dubai, you know, like they, people come and ask, you know, do you think we should go and apply? Because, you know, they need this one in a time, one in a life chance to 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 at least be accepted and then you know you know this the rest of the story so but what made you take this you know bold decision and how actually you know when you reflect on it now you see that right. it was the right decision that it was aligning with your long-term vision and strategy for for fuse i i would say in the context of that time it was the right decision i think that if i had a uh, the ability to see the future and see that we were going to pivot and go into a different direction probably would have, we would have, uh, uh, we will rethink that decision. But at that point, um, key things that we already had, we had already raised some venture money. So the whole, there's, there's an allure associated with YC that means that you're going to be able to, uh, raise, uh, venture money if you're like a, a pre, pre-seed or like no un unbacked company yet. So. That, that component of uh, getting capital was not necessarily like that, 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 that kind of sweetener was not as sweet anymore because it will it would actually mean that the YC valuation will be a big discount to what we already had. Um, second was that from, uh, we were B2C and although there's plenty of good examples of YC companies that are uh, B2C focused, um, the, the benefit of the batch was different, right? And, and. And 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 third, that we actually spoke with a with a plethora of of, uh, of of founders and also investors, and we were kind of be able to make make our mind in terms of like, hey, we we had it, we 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 want to focus on our energy and actually building the business. Uh, let's go and build, right? I think, uh, and just to be super transparent, like they they go. There's no real negotiation of terms of YC. I mean, we read through blogs and all of that, and we were hoping that there would be a possibility to like negotiate terms. Uh, I think that's very hard. I'm sure very few folks uh, 
the folks in general, it's just a recipe for failure if you want to negotiate terms. And uh, we just we just thought, hey, like at in, in in this moment in time with the information we have, the best path for us is not to take uh, Y Combinator. Of course, we felt it's not an easy decision, but it was not something that we spent months on thinking. Right, you have a few days, less than a week to decide. So you try to gather as much data uh, and uh, and make make a decision with the information and 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 the fact that you going back to having a good co-founder is just. The two of you have to agree and uh, then then just move forward and go on with your life. Yeah, I would say if you're bu building B2B, if, if we were just Fuse instead of just like the B2C alternative, I think that uh, the, 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 the scoring of the decision would have been different. Uh, out of curiosity, Andres, you're a first time founder, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I congratulate you on, on this courage mm -hmm. because... Uh, you know, in my in, in in my day job, I would say so. Part of is I do kind of mentoring, and you know, like everyone is running after. Yeah, we need the VC money now, and they still, as you said, in the pre-seed and seed. Yeah. And you know, but you you took a very different and actually bright approach by building first, and then actually you are now VC backed, as I uh, understood, yeah. right? So yeah, so you so so you showed some traction, and then you brought the VC to the pictures, which is amazing. And you know, one thing. And I like that, and I love that you mentioned about this is much of the uh, first time founders, they don't realize it about the equity and, you know, how much control you are also giving. It's not only that you are taking the money, also they are, you are giving control actually to the, to the especially like some places like uh, Y Combinator. Uh, amazing. You know, I, I really love to, to hear these stories and I'm happy that you shared that with us today. Um, as we are coming to an end, uh, Andres, I want from you final thoughts, some advices to fellow uh, entrepreneurs and to be founders uh, in general. And if you know you want to touch on the fintech a little bit, uh, feel free to do so. Yeah, I think for founders, it's it's there's a lot of common sense involved. But like sometimes you just there's just so much noise out there that like. You, st you started like bending over backwards to, and I think like first principles are still remain as important. Work with people that you trust, trust in the people that you work with because it it it, it kind of like that. Uh, same thing applies not only like for the people you hire, as the people you partner with, the people that you raise money from. It's uh, it, it it does it goes. That's common sense, right? Like it's stuff that you will learn from your parents, but I mean. Life is complex, and you, and sometimes we we tend to overbuild on top of things. So that in the and uh, as it as it uh, comes to ideas, get, don't get married to an idea. Like nurture it, but like always have uh, a competing kind of even around the product, right? Like talk with customers as much as possible, get feedback, and uh, be be able to like really iterate quickly, right? Like especially at our stages when you're a startup, be, it, it is fundamental to recognize that your product needs to evolve based on the client needs. Uh, but at the same time, also be careful of sometimes start of building too much for a specific client, right? Because that client might have a need that it's very niche and, and, and just if you overbuild for them, like you lose the flexibility. It was originally the reason why your product was winning, right? Uh, and in and, and, and FinTech, that, that's particularly true, right? Because a lot of folks in FinTech, because technology in, in, the, in, the, in the segment that we operating has not changed much in the last 20, 30 years. 
they are used to processes and those processes in themselves have not been questioned for a while, right? Like what, what's efficient and what's better. So uh, bringing a perspective, of course, listen to your customer, but like, don't be scared to like say like, Hey, I, I think I can add more value here. And like, let me, let me hear you out and, and repeat back what you want. But how have you thought about this other solutions that we've implemented? We've seen this implemented in insurance or healthcare or direct to consumer. Uh, I think that that's something your clients will, will appreciate. And yeah, I think that those are uh, some of the thoughts that come, come immediately to my mind. Great advice, especially the last one. It applies a lot. And I've seen startups that they did the mistake, you know, on the promise that they are working, let's say, on a big contract. So they stop everything. They drop all the roadmap. They go focus on that one single feature that it's applicable maybe to one, maybe two, but maybe they have one in hand. And then they discover that, hey, because this is an advice from me, maybe this customer, even if you build that feature, he will not sign the contract with you. So yeah. you have wasted your time, wasted your resources and lost like a bunch of other customers. Um, Andres, I really enjoyed the conversation today. Where people can find more about you and about Fuse? Uh, for Fuse, it's fusefinance.com. That's our website. And as it comes to me, like LinkedIn, my name is Andres Lesnik-Vladic. Uh, please feel free to like um, add me on LinkedIn, and like I'm, I, I usually try to make time within a week or two to speak with anyone that reaches out. Sure, great, thank you very much. I will make sure that you know the links are in the show notes. And again, Andres, thank you very much for sharing your uh, experience first, and also enlightening us about what uh, you are doing with Fuse. It's like a uh, revolutionary. Uh, technology. I can see that. I can see the future is brilliant for you. I wish you all the best with that. And, uh, you know, again, thank you for giving us the time and sharing the knowledge. And this is how usually I end my episodes. So for the audience, if you are first time here, thank you for passing by. I hope that you like the content. And if so, please do subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And if you are one of the fans who are always you know following us and you know sending me the messages and feedbacks thank you very much for this i really appreciate that keep them coming i read every single email every single message you sent to me and if you are interested to be also on the show you have this brilliant idea you want to share it you're not having you know the right pr and you know like you need a place to share what you are doing also reach out to me the mission of this podcast is you know to share knowledge share the ideas and enlighten everyone so thank you very much for tuning in. We'll meet again very soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hit that subscribe button. Share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs. And leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.